Uh, you, you can see the points. I had to go get my phone because I can't see the screens. Um, but Genesis chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles there, please do turn to it. We're just going to work through the passage in front of us as we think of Jacob's dream from Genesis chapter 8, um, chapter 28 from verse 10 to 22. They split it up into the following ways, verse 10 to 11, Jacob's journey, verse 13 to 15. God's revelation, and then verse 16 to 22, Jacob's response. So 10 to 11, Jacob's journey, verse 13 to 15, God's revelation, and verse 16 to 22, Jacob's response. Now, let's, as we come to God's word, join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, as we come to hear your word, We do ask that you may help us to know you more through it, that we may hear and understand, and that we may respond rightly to it. Heavenly Father, I pray that nothing that I may say or do may add or take away from it, and that you alone may be given the glory through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John, for getting it on the screen at the back. So Jacob's journey... The first slide for me, please. Jacob's journey. We've all seen those images on our televisions and and newspapers and on social media. People fleeing their homes. It's hard to forget those images that we've seen since the outbreak of the Civil War in Syria on the 15th of March 2011. It seems like only yesterday, but yet there's so many of those things that are ingrained in our mind. Many find themselves fleeing from their home because of violence, because of the persecution that they faced, because of the political and social upheaval, all at no fault of their own. But as we come to this passage, we see Jacob. Jacob, who in contrast to those who have fled the war in Syria, has left the comfort of his home, the comfort of his family, and is on his way towards her Haran. But the situation that he found himself on in was not because of the external factors. Rather, Jacob was in a situation of his own making. He was forced to flee because his life was at stake. How had it come to this? How had Jacob ended up in this situation? Well, many of us already know the story, don't we? We know how the Lord revealed to Rebekah that Jacob would have a significant role to play in the fulfillment of the promises that he had given to Abraham and Isaac. But yet, even so, Jacob and Rebekah used their own cunning and effort and deceit to gain these promises for Jacob. Jacob had managed to acquire his brother Esau's birthright for, what, a bowl of stew? All with the help of his mother? And then whenever Isaac, his father, was old and his eyesight had faded, and thinking that he was at death's door, well, Jacob, once again, he deceived his father. He obtained the blessing that was due to his brother. So the marks of this man, Jacob, the marks of this man, Jacob, were not trustworthiness or integrity or any virtue that's commendable. Rather, rather Jacob was a man of cunning, deceit, and self-centered ambition. So how then, how does the book of Hebrews describe Jacob as by faith? 
this passage, we see a transformation in Jacob. All in all, though, it's not surprising that his brother Esau was angry. As, as Jacob was forced to flee, he went. With nowhere else to go, with no other course of action, he went fleeing for his life towards Haran. He was retracing the his steps of his grandfather Abraham, who had traveled the same journey 125 years earlier. But instead of Abraham's journey, this was the reverse journey. Abraham had gone on this journey answering the call of God. Instead, Jacob was fleeing because of his sin. See, for Jacob, sin, original sin, had distorted him. Actual sin had distracted him. Indwelling sin had manipulated him. And he was fleeing because he had allowed sin to rule his life and his decisions. Jacob here is between a rock and a hard place. He knew what lay behind him. He kind of had an idea of what lay ahead of him. But right where he was, he would have been having to come to terms with all that was happening. Having to come to terms with the fact that, that by the time that he would ever get to go home, his father would have died long ago. That he would never see him again trying to come to terms with the knowledge that his brother wanted to kill him, and he was traveling in unfamiliar surroundings, and it would have been an emotional roller coaster. This man's life was never going to be the same again. And with almost two weeks' journey still to go, with no light to guide his path, no premier ends along the way, Jacob is forced to lay his head down on a stone pillow. Doubtless, Jacob must have wondered, wondered, was there anything in his father's pious hope for the future? Wondered how he had got himself in this situation. Wondered, was it all worth it, or was it just a fairy story? The Lord here was using this journey that Jacob was on to begin a transformation. And then in verse 13 to 15, we have God's revelation. God's revelation. That begins with God's initiative. You see, that night, with his head laid on the stone pillow, as he's drifting off to sleep, God reveals himself to Jacob. He reveals himself as the God of his father Abraham and the God of Isaac. But there... In the midst of the self-revelation, as Jacob's in this dream, there's one thing that's for sure. That this isn't based on Jacob and what he has done, his character traits. No, this is based on the Lord and his gracious purposes. And here the Lord didn't bring him face to face with a shameful past. He didn't rub it in his face. He didn't make him aware that he'd made a mess of his life. Instead, the Lord and what he was doing was helping him to see the future, to see him and to see a life lived in faith. In this dream, Jacob saw a ladder, or rather a stairway. But unlike the Tower of Babel that had been built by human hands in rebellion against the Lord, building a tower that that climbed to heaven. Instead, the imagery that's used here is of the Lord bringing the stairway down that rests upon the earth. 
reaching from heaven to earth. And it's the angels of the Lord who are sent by him, ascending and descending, sent by the Lord to guard, to communicate, to protect, and to serve his purposes. You see, even with the effect of the fall, the Lord here is conveying to Jacob through this dream that he is still actively involved in sustaining the earth. The Lord, the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth, is active in the care of his creation. He is active in guiding us in what lies ahead and his, in his divine initiative. He comes and reveals himself to us. You know, as Jacob lay there, there was nothing that he could have done to bring this about. This was all God's initiative. It was all God's doing, revealing himself to Jacob. And there, as the angels are going about the business of the Lord, the Lord, in verse 13, declares, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And Jacob, when he heard these words, would have recalled to his mind what he'd been taught from his parents, what he'd been taught from his grandfather. He would have known all the promises that the Lord had given to Abraham. He would have known that it was the Lord who had called Abraham and who enabled Sarah to have a child in their old age. He would have known how Isaac had been reaffirmed these promises, how a landless refugee was able to grow strong and able to have children. It would have reminded him what the Lord had done and what he was doing. It would have reminded him None of this was dependent on him or his own efforts, but all in God's grace and by his initiative. You see, in grace, the Lord revealed himself to Jacob. You know, for all Jacob's cunning, his deceit, his self-centered ambition, his life had ended up in a mess. All of it because of his own sin, nothing that he could have done to deserve this. But the Lord in his initiative is showing Jacob his grace. Showing in his grace that wasn't dependent on him, but was dependent on the covenant keeping God who has kept his word. See, in his purposes, the Lord was going to use Jacob. He was going to give him the land that he lay upon. It was a surprising gift that wasn't gained through the cunning and the deceit or his ambition, but it was going to be gained by God's gift. Jacob may have thought at one point it was about what he was trying to do, what he could do or what he could have done. But the Lord was making it clear so that Jacob could be left in no doubt that his future depended 100%, not on his character, not on who he was, but on the Lord. And Jacob, Jacob needed to be dependent on the Lord and his character. The Lord and his character. See, what the Lord was doing, the Lord was reorientating Jacob's life, and he was giving him hope. You see, here, the hope that's given is the promises once more that were given to Abraham and Isaac 
are given to Jacob. But here the, the greatness of the promises are reiterated but expanded. So that Jacob is aware that, that the Lord God, the God of grace, is going to do this. Here the promise that's given is that, that Jacob's descendants would be as abundant, not as the stars in the heaven or the sand on the seashore, but in the dust of the ground. The Lord's conveying to Jacob the hope that lies ahead, that it's beyond his comprehension, and his offspring will spread all over the earth. Through his offspring, all people on the earth will be blessed. See, this promise that's given here to Jacob is of universal significance. God in his gracious, gracious purposes had chosen Jacob, and that choice is significant for us all. See, in, in addition to this assurance that he had given, he also, by giving him this hope, gives him assurance. Assurance that it's not dependent on him. Assurance that it's not dependent on his past or what he would do in the future, but it's dependent on the Lord God himself. Remember the promise that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The promise that one of the seed of Adam and Eve would one day come and crush the head of the serpent well, it was through the offspring. That's why they had such hope in Abel. And that's why they had such hope in, in what lay ahead. And that's why this offspring is so important. And as this promise is given, this hope is given to Jacob, that would have been also in his mind. Because the Lord was willing to stand by him so that all people on the earth would be blessed. He was going to watch over him. He was going to help him. He was going to preserve and protect him. And one day he would bring him back to this land. Even though whenever Jacob left his home, his parents, he had no idea of what the future held. He had no idea where he would go other than Haran. Lord is making it clear to this fleeing man that he knows what the future holds and that he need not fear that there is hope. Hope that's dependent not on Jacob but on God. See, this hope should give him security. You see, these promises to Jacob should give him security in all that lay ahead knowing that it wasn't dependent on himself, knowing that it wasn't dependent on what he had done. It wasn't dependent on how good he was or how good he could be. No, it was dependent on the Lord. Because Jacob was still a fallen, sinful man. He was going to do stupid things. He was going to say things and do things that were far from God. Jacob's security wasn't in himself. It was in the Lord. His initiative, his grace, his hope, his security. Surprising, isn't it? Well, I think it's surprising on one level. Maybe you don't. That God would choose Jacob. 
After all, from a worldly point of view, in the knowledge of his past, you would think that he was one to avoid. If he came for a job interview and you knew he had swindled his family, you wouldn't give him the job, would you? But yet, nonetheless, God in his wisdom chose Jacob, even if we wouldn't have. However surprising we may think it is, as we remember his cunning, his deceit, his self-centered ambition, as we remember that he was fleeing because of his sin, the original sin that had distorted him, the actual sin that had distracted him, and the original sin or the indwelling sin that had manipulated him, to remember that sin had ruled his life. But we need to remember that this was God's initiative. God and his sovereign purposes was bringing salvation to Jacob. See, looking around, it's safe to say that none of us, none of us deserve the salvation that the Lord God has brought. None of us could earn it. Yet God, by his grace and his unmerited favor towards us has shown us his grace and it is all his initiative just as it was the case for Abraham Isaac and Jacob and everyone who has ever experienced the grace of God it is all his initiative it's not dependent on our works it's not dependent on our efforts it's dependent on what God has done through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, for Jacob and for us, salvation is dependent on faith. It's wrought in us by God. For it's by grace that we're saved through faith. This isn't our own doing. This is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that none of us may boast. If we think it's surprising that God chose Jacob, it should be surprising, equally surprising, that God chose any of us. Then again, we like to justify ourselves, don't we? You know, we look around, we like to compare ourselves to other people. I'm better than we see it over there. You know, I'm better than, than Joe. I'm better... Actually, I'm not that bad. God's going to love me. We like to justify ourselves because, because the world tells us that if you're good citizens, if you're good people, that's what you need to be. But if we compare ourselves by the world's standards, if we compare ourselves by those around us, then we fail to understand the heinousness of sin. We fail to understand the goodness of a holy God. There's nothing in us, people, that deserves salvation. We can't earn it. We have more chance of becoming president of the United States of America than we do of saving ourselves. Yet the amazing thing as we come tonight is that God freely gives it in his initiative. He shows us grace the one who wrought faith in us. And because of his initiative and his grace, we have hope and security. Hope for the future. Security in the present. 
knowing that if we leave here and if we do things that we shouldn't do, that whenever we fall into sin, when we make mistakes, that it's not dependent on us. We need to take confidence that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith, that it's not our own doing, that it's a gift of God. It's His initiative. His grace gives us hope and security. And then, as we continue this passage, we see Jacob's response. Jacob's response. It begins with awe. See, waking from this encounter with the Lord, Jacob is filled with awe. You see, the world of this dream is of greater consequence to him now than the mess that he was in. He's filled with fear, not of what lay behind him or what lay in the future or the guilt of what he had done. No, the fear that he is filled with is the fear of the Lord. He's come face to face with the living God. And he now understood the faith of his parents. As he confesses, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know. His fear is not a fear of dread or terror, but that of a sinful man who's coming before a holy God. He's overwhelmed and acutely conscious of his sin, of his unworthiness to stand in the Lord's presence. And just like Adam, who feared the Lord's presence because of sin back in the garden, Jacob also feared the Lord because of sin that original sin that had distorted him, that actual sin that had distracted him, and that indwelling sin that had manipulated him. This fear of the Lord would help deliver Jacob from sin. It would drive him to obedience in the Lord. It would make him want to please and love the Lord more and more, knowing that he had been redeemed in the Lord's initiative and by his grace, giving him hope for the future and security in the present. For us here tonight, just like Jacob, we should be filled with the fear of the Lord. Not like that of a slave at their master or a captive before their enemy. Rather, a fear of the Lord to be filled with to be filled with reverence. Reverence to him and his word. As we desire, desire in our lives not to offend him, but to live how he desires us, knowing that he has given us his word to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. He has given us his word for our benefit. But this fear of the Lord comes by his initiative and his grace as he brings us hope and security and it leads us to love him more and more just as this fear would deliver Jacob from sin it will also help deliver us from what we face and the sin that we fall into in our lives see this all and the knowledge of who God is and all that he has done the knowledge of his grace that brings hope and security means that there is only one, one right way to respond and that is 
and worship. Jacob here worships the Lord according to the customs of the age. He uses a stone that had served at his pillow, that had guarded his head, and he erects it as a pillar that functions as a witness, as a monument to the stairway to heaven and the Lord standing there. Then he takes the oil that he had taken and he consecrates it, making a vow to the Lord. You see, what Jacob was doing here was that he was publicly declaring before all who were there that he will worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, the God of his father Abraham and Isaac. And this stone pillar bore witness to that. His experience of the Lord resulted in heartfelt worship. Faith consists of more than an inner spiritual feeling, of a nice warm fuzziness inside. You see, the experience of God leads us to worship Him. And that experience of the Lord's salvation should lead us to fear Him, to be filled with awe and to worship, to publicly declare who He is. As we gather here tonight, that's what we do. We come confidently, just like Jacob, not on what we have done or can do, but because what he has done on our behalf, worshiping him. And then as Jacob continues, he makes a vow before the Lord. It reiterates that this journey he is now on is not him simply fleeing from his brother, but this, this journey that he is on is now a pilgrimage one that's not defined by his past, but one that will be shaped, shaped by the promises of God, shaped by what the Lord has done here in this place. As the Lord had committed himself to Jacob, so Jacob commits himself to the Lord. How many of us, though, take this word and allow it to shape how we live in every way? In all the things that we do here in this passage, Jacob was taking the word of the Lord that had came to him. He had been transformed. But his journey of faith had only begun. He still had far to go. And even though God's promises to him were unconditional, Jacob's vow, as you'll see here, was conditional. His view is, if God does this, Then I'll acknowledge him as my God in verse 21. His prayer for a safe return shows faith, not unbelief. And then as it closes in verse 22, he says that he will give a tenth to the Lord. See, Jacob is no longer the grasper. He's no longer the one who wants to take something from someone else. Instead, he will respond rightly to the Lord. I'll bring it up because it's here. Tithing. See, the New Testament drops this for a higher spiritual standard. See, as we come here this evening, as we know the Savior Christ Jesus, 
we respond on the Lord God with abundant generosity. But so often, we don't. So often we look around us at what the world does and what other people do and we, we like to keep it for ourselves. But yet the Lord God has given us salvation through his Son. So often we give a tithe so that we can say that we've given. It's not really costly. And the truth is that most ministers preach on it because, or they don't preach on it, or they tell people to give 10% because they know that being abundantly generous to God is hard because we're still fallen, selfish sinners. And we still love money more than God. Does our giving not only of our finances and our time reflect abundantly the generosity that we've been shown. But Jacob's response here shows awe and worship. He'd set out to find a wife. From the outside all appeared dark. But here in this passage the Lord found Jacob. And it's a time of character transformation as the Lord here brings faith and by faith, Abraham, or by faith, Jacob was able to live for the Lord God. See, now the Lord of Abraham, the Lord of Isaac, was now the Lord of Jacob too. He bestowed those covenant promises upon him. And Jacob, Jacob would still feel, he would still fall into sin that original sin that had assorted him, the actual sin that this would distract him, that indwelling sin that would still manipulate him, yet the Lord was graciously providing the remedy for human disobedience. Because the Lord would use Jacob's line to bring about the Messiah, the one who would deal with sin once and for all. God's promises here didn't mean that Jacob was going to have an easy life either. His life was still going to be one of hardship. But yet through this hardship, the Lord perfected Jacob. He spent 20 years in exile. He was wronged by his uncle. He experienced physical afflictions. And yet his experience is still a model for us. See, it reminds us that in the midst of the deepest crisis in our lives, God will still use those times. He'll shape us through them. But what we have to do is continue to trust in him. Jacob was now on a journey. His life had been transformed. He had meaning all because of God. And our lives, likewise, whenever we come to know our God and Savior, have meaning. So that our lives are not like a solitary wandering, but a journey to that holy city that lies ahead. As we close this thing for a moment to those words of Jesus in John's Gospel. Jesus speaks of these words or the vision of Jacob in John 1. 51. 
See, Jesus there presents himself as the reality to which the stairway pointed. In place of the ladder, there is Jesus himself, the Son of Man. He is the link between heaven and earth. He is the means by which the realities of heaven are brought down to earth. And he reveals God's grace to us by God's initiative. He's the one who brings us blessing. He does this as our Savior, our mediator. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the one who gave his life as a ransom, so that for all through faith that they might be saved. See, he is the one through whom Jacob is justified. He is the one through whom we justified by faith wrought by God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and when we come in the knowledge of what you have done, that in your initiative you have brought salvation by your grace, gives us hope for the future and security in the present. Help us as we leave this place to be filled with awe and worship, knowing the truth that you are a God who is mighty to save, a God who has done it all on our behalf. And help us, Lord, to put the things that we held dear, the things of this world, the things that, that put, people put with such value that are worthless aside and to look to the Lord Jesus because it is through him that we might be saved for we are justified through his sacrifice and we pray in his name